So, uh, if you hadn't heard, uh, there's an attack on Israel. I think you'd have to not have to turn on any social media not to know. Uh, normally here we would go through uh, the book of Romans. We're going through the book of Romans. We're looking at a verse at a time. We go through it a book at a time, a verse at a time, and do expository preaching on it. And that was my intent. Romans 10, we were there. We were going through it. And I thought we'd finish up Romans 10 today. Um, but I woke up different this morning. <laughs> I was told pressed upon me. It's like I have questions about what's going on and what's going on in the world and what's happening. Is this important? And so I assume that you would too. And I feel that a Christian should be the most informed person in the community. I think we should have our finger on the pulse of what is going on in the world. We're not someone who's off in a far corner. We're in the world, but not of it. We're to have eyes to see and ears to hear, and we're to have discernment about the times and what things are going on. And so I think we should be informed. I think that our kids in school should be the ones that are most informed when something happens. Like, oh, yeah, I know what's happening. Oh, alarm went off on Wednesday? I knew about this. We were told about it in advance. You know, that, well, we talked about those things. You know, that uh, you should be the most informed in our society. Christians should. We should have answers for things that are going on. Your family, people should turn to you. Hey, you're a Christian. What do you think about what's going on? Your workplace, when you show up tomorrow and people are talking about this, that you have some kind of insight and understanding of what is happening. At the school, for kids, your neighborhood, whatever it is, I think we should be the most informed. That being said, I have questions for sure what's going on, but I knew that you would have questions, and so that's what I want to talk about this morning, what's going on in Israel. So let's review what's happened so far in case some of you are like, ah, I've seen something, but I didn't know much. But, um, the timing of this is pretty interesting. Israel was waking up at the end of a seven-day feast. This is the most joyous feast we talked about Friday night. Feast of Booths is the one that's the most rejoicing. It's one where he says, commands, you don't do any work. <laughs> don't, you want, don't you want a holiday like that? Seven days, no work. You camp out, you have fun with your family and friends, and you remember and you talk about old times and how I was there for you and how I delivered you and how I was faithful in the high times and the low times and then the hard times and the easy times and I was there for you and I provided for you. Because that's what Feast of Booths is about. We talked about that, the lulav, you know, kind of pointed those things. So you come off that reminding, God reminding who you are. And it ends on a Sabbath day. We're not, they're not to do much. You know, they don't travel much. You know, the elevator stops on every floor, you know, lest you push a button. You know, you're not to carry something too far. You're not to walk too far. You're not to do anything. That's a great time to put a launch, a surprise attack when they're not supposed to be violating their laws and come against you. And so, yeah, they're not supposed to be preparing anything. And so this is when they launched their attack. So it's that perfect time. Uh, they were attacked by Hamas. This is a Palestinian group. Uh, they're an Israel, or Islamic resistance movement that started in, the 19, in 1987. And so uh, they pretty much run and control the Gaza Strip, which is down there in the south along the Mediterranean. Uh, Gaza, just for... Uh, us to put it into context in our mind, this is where Samson made his last stand as he pushed out those pillars and the buildings collapsed and he killed the Philistines. It was a Philistine city. And that's what Palestinian means. When the Romans came in and they were naming Israel's enemies, they're like, they've always had trouble with the Philistines, and so they named them Palestina, or the Palestines, um, that we hear in our news today. And so it's a direct correlation to the Philistines and Palestine. And so always been God's enemy. Goliath, one of their champions, you know, who fought for them. We think of that battle, think of the same group and the same thing. 
It was a surprise attack that was launched uh, Saturday morning from Gaza. And just a reminder, I think, to think about Israel. Because it's hard for us to put ourselves in the mindset of these attacks. You know, because um, our, our administration's first response you know, to that region was, don't respond. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's like somebody attacks us, we're going to go get some, right? And so they tell them, they quickly t- pulled it down and thought, ah, it probably went too good. And so, but... Uh, but just a reminder, their, their way of thinking is different than ours because who they are and where they are. Israel is tiny. It's basically the size of New Jersey, one-tenth the size of the United Kingdom. You know, this is a small nation. It's 8,630 square miles. So it's only 270 miles long. I said you could drive the length of it today, easy. You know, it's closer than going to Florida from here. You know, so it's, uh, to put it in Hoosier terms, and so it's 270 miles long. Um, 85 miles wide. At the narrowest point, it's like 9.3 miles. I mean, that's narrow. <laughs> that's real narrow, you know, because you can see Indianapolis from 252 uh, when you get up here by the water tower. You know, that's 30-some miles, and so think nine miles. That's not very much at all. And so we have something in, in our country that God has blessed us with as we were established. We have airspace, we got an ocean on two borders, right? We got Atlantic and the Pacific. If someone's launching on us, we got some time, right? Something's coming in. You know, what are we going to do? We have time now. Even, of course, interballistic missiles are faster, but we still, we have something. Uh, you have the Gulf uh, on the south, and we have Mexico, friend, uh, in the south, and we have Canada, friend, uh, to the north. You know, and so we don't have what Israel had. Israel has enemies at every border that wish that they not, were, were not there, that they did not exist, and threaten them each and every day. And so that's a different mindset of living there than you and I would have. It's like, oh, phew. we live in the heartland too. It's going to take them a while to get to us. They don't have that. It's on them as soon as it's launched. You know? So they have to be thinking about this all the time. And so um, they have zero time to react. Hamas launched 5,000 rockets into this area. Let's talk about a small area, and then they'd have just blanketed it with 5,000 rockets. They used heavy equipment to smash through a, a border wall, um, kind of like if you ever see the fences and stuff that they were putting up um, or tried to put up in, in, on the Mexican border. Uh, they smashed through that, and once they punched the hole, they had a lot of fighters on motorcycles that just came through like, you know, ants, you know, coming up out of anthill, and they, they went launching into, into the cities. They had trucks full of soldiers. Have you seen the videos of that where, like, the pickup, the front cab's all full, the back's all full, people hanging on the side, and they're just pulling to a neighborhood, they jump off, and they're just shooting. Uh, as they were going down the roadways, it was just a shooting gallery. Cars in traffic, just a Saturday morning, the next thing, you know, they're just shooting everybody. I mean, if you've not seen pictures of the interstate close to where they breached the wall, it looks like something out of The Walking Dead or something. It's just bodies strewn out of their cars and where they run into abutments because they shot the driver and people just, they drug them out and shot them and everything else just driving along. Just driving along. Boats poured in on the seas. They used parasails like the ones we see flying from the Franklin Airport. You know, the guy with a little fan on his back. And they could use them to come in, you know, and, and to attack in that way. And they targeted civilians. This is against the rules of war. This is against the Geneva Convention and everything else. Not military installations, not things like that. Their goal was civilians to spread terror. That's what terrorists do. They slaughtered whoever they saw. They've kidnapped hundreds, young and old. They stormed a concert that was going on that was a concert about world peace. They've drunk some poor girl 
a German tourist that was there. They drug her naked through the streets. Last I heard this morning, I didn't check it right before service, I meant to, but it was 600 killed so far, 2,000 wounded. They're calling it Israel's 911 or 911, you know, so it's the, pretty much the equivalent. You know, it's, it's been an all out attack on them. Um, we live in a day and age when Muslims have flooded into the European countries. And so that kind of changes the news headlines you look at. You know, should, the world is in shock. And I've seen that headline. World in shock, you know, for this. But London celebrates, and I've seen where they've just packed the streets, and they're all out happy, and they're celebrating, and they're waving the flag because all the refugees that have been put into all these countries. So this changes the atmosphere, how it is. It changes the safety of where you think that we're not in Israel if you're a Jew. Well, it doesn't matter. An Egyptian policeman killed two Israeli, Israeli terrorists, or tourists, that's different, two Israeli tourists just because they were Jewish. You know, it's like, ah, oh, it's open season on Jews. So that changed your mindset. So LAPD and the New York PD have deployed extra uh, forces into the Jewish neighborhoods to help try to guard and protect them because you know this is uh, giving them the, the impetus to try to attack all the more. And we've seen anti-Semitism on the rise here as a general feeling it's been growing. I've been noticing the reports on that, and I've been gathering uh, different news articles kind of showing that this is the kind of the, uh, the pulse of the world. And I'll just say this here at the outside. Any attack against Israel is a satanic attack. I mean, this is a, an attack from him. This is how it goes down. This is God's chosen, and so anything against them, it's satanic in nature. And so we're living in interesting times, you know. I, I used to always wonder, what would it be like to live in Bible times? Here you are. Uh, and this is kind of where it is. We need to wake up to that fact. The Taliban, we all know them, they're asking for permission for passage to drive through Iran to help come in and conquer Jerusalem because we left them $7 billion in military equipment when we left Afghanistan. See, who we have in office and the decisions that they make and the policies that they have and the actions that they take have long-lasting impressions and, and implications across the world other than just right here. America has a responsibility for who we are and how we are and how we behave and who our leaders are and how they conduct themselves. We have now put Jerusalem at risk because of a lackadaisical and then maybe a planned exit that did not happen and did not go well. I don't know there in 2001 where we just left all this. We left them... Um, well, even before that, we gave them $18.6 billion. We gave, gave them, uh, the Taliban, uh, of your money. You know, have trouble buying groceries? Quit telling them to give all of our money to all these foreign forces that are going on. We, we left them 600,000 assault rifles. We armed the Taliban with 600,000 assault rifles. I thought they were our enemies. Aren't they the ones that attacked us before? And yet we've given them all this. We left them over 2,000 armored vehicles that they're now wanting to drive across Iran and, and storm into Israel with. We left them 40 different aircraft, including Black Hawk helicopters. I think if most of us had watched any of this before, we saw them trying to fly. I mean, you know, trying to learn it when they first came into possession of them. Our administration just gave Hamas, just recently, this group that has attacked Israel, we gave them $6 billion recently. Our tax money, we gave the enemies of our friend, our allies, Israel, we gave them $6 billion. I wonder how they afforded those 5,000 rockets that they launched with. You and I gave them money for it. Makes me sick. Netanyahu, Israel's president currently, has declared war. And uh, he's told the people in the Gaza area, 
And he's not just talking to his people. You know, usually before we go into war or we think the conflict is coming, we pull our people, our embassy, and we pull the Americans. We, we put notice out, hey, you, you need to get out. Something's coming sometime, which we have done in, in a few countries here of late. Now, they've told, that's not Israel. Israel told the people of Gaza, the ones who just attacked them, clear out the area because we're going to lay it flat. You know, you, you keep using this to attack us. Uh, it's not a surprise attack. It's not like, hey, you just got off your holiday. Hey, it's your Sabbath day. Hey, it's your high holy day. We're attacking you. We're going to kill as many as possible. And he's like, no, we're going to launch. It's going to be in this area. Clear out. This is how the Israelis do it. Because everything they do is so scrutinized, and it's always put it back on them. Saudi Arabia is already blaming them for this attack, you know, because they exist. Because you're there. Yeah, we're going to attack you. It's a free chance for us to do it. And so, yeah, they, Netanyahu says, we're going to destroy the Gaza area. <sighs> Israeli's enemies attack randomly, most daily. I mean, you can pretty much go on. I followed you know, Jerusalem Today and Israel 360 and a few others. It's like there's launches coming in pretty regular. And we get kind of used to the idea that the Iron Dome you know, is doing its job, and you watch them blocking pretty well. <clears throat> but when Israeli Israel returns fire, because we see where they launch from. When they return fire, we've got to take out that launch site. They send a signal to the cell phones within that block area and say, hey, we're about ready to bomb this area, clear out. Now, people might want to get out. They're not always allowed to get out by the Palestinians. They force them in there because they want bloodshed and carnage. Oh, Jews just shot and launched and, and killed these people in the apartment and these children. But they send out a cell phone signal to their target areas before they launch upon it and give them free warning to get out. But... Their enemies don't do that. It's always surprise attacks, middle of the night, in the morning, on a holiday, stuff like that. Iran um, praises the attack, and their parliament stopped to chant death to Israel throughout their proceedings once they heard this. Except the Sauds have already blamed Israel for the surprise attack, Except mainly just because they exist. So what is this? Uh, it's big, right? So it's got to be important. And here's how we know, because Israel has been said is God's timepiece. If you want to know where we are in prophecy, we want to know where we are, what the Bible's going on, you look at Israel. Israel is God's timepiece. So where are we in prophecy? Well, their land is under attack. Nations want them wiped out. Um, let me remind you of this. Look at Genesis chapter 12. <clears throat> We want to keep this in mind. Now, Israel has always been our ally. America has been one of their, <clears throat> not probably, probably the biggest backer of them, and I've always been in favor of that because we have this. <clears throat> Genesis 12, verse 3, And I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. This is talking about Israel. This is the blessing and the cursing. I think America's had the prosperity and had the goodness and the comfort and the safety that we've had because we've always been a friend to Israel. And so I don't think we want to turn corners anytime soon. Does that make Israel right in everything they do and say? Or they're, no, they're lost. The nation is lost. But they're God's chosen. And we're to pray for the peace of Israel. And we're, we're to be in favor of them. We're to try to reach them. <clears throat> we want Messianic Jews. I know they, and, uh, it, it's, it's amazing. Israel is God's people, so we pray for them. 
God is not done with Israel. Now, there's a lot of replacement theology that says the church replaced Israel. God is not done. God has made promises to them that he must fulfill. That's what we're talking about in Romans 10 and Romans 11 as we get through that. Paul makes the point, uh, obviously, we were looking at that and Hosea covers it as well. It's like, you've been in judgment. I'm going to exile you. I'm going to bring you back because I'm not done. You know, yes, you've been unfaithful, and yes, you've not been true to me, and yes, you've not been that, but I am the God who keeps his promises. I delight in that, and I will never abandon you nor forsake you. Is it a hard lesson on him as a nation, as people-wise? Yes, it is. But the reason these hard things come is to try to bring them to salvation, to try to wake them up, and by the time you get to the end of the tribulation, two-thirds of the nation of Israel is killed, but the one-third that is left is believing Israel. This is when he starts over. And so God's not done with them. He's trying to bring them to salvation. The, the whole point of the tribulation, we've got a chart back there, and we talk about it often, is to bring Israel as a nation to repentance, to understand that they had rejected their Messiah who came down and presented himself to get them to cry upon him whom they pierced and understand that's who he is and ask him and call out to him and, and have him come down and rescue them. And he does. That's what happens in Armageddon is he comes down and rescues them while they're in the wilderness and then goes and fights the big battle at the end. And so he's trying to get them to repent and bring them into into this realization. Look at Zechariah 12. I think this is for sure being fulfilled right now. Zechariah 12 and verse 2. It's one of those things that we're seeing growing in intensity for sure, but Zechariah 12 and verse 2 says, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about. When they shall be in the siege, both against Judah and against Jerusalem. So he says, sieges are coming. Verse 3. And the day I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. And all that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces. Though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. Is this ultimately in, uh, at Armageddon and towards the end? Probably. But we're seeing... Uh, this kind of foreshadowed in advance of the things that are going on now, that people are against it. Anybody that's against them, it becomes a burdensome stone, and how do you help them, and what do we do, and where do we go? And so it becomes this big dilemma for all the nations of the world and with who they are and what's happening because it's this crux, it's this cradle of everything where we have world religions that are based out of there. We have um, say, Judaism and Christianity and Islam all laying claim to the same spot. So it makes us this burdensome spot. So who stands and who's against? Who will back and who's our ally? Will we back them? We've given billions to other countries without any much question about whether we wanted to or not. You know, we've been funding a war against Russia to the point where we said, hey, if we send over tanks, you know, this is going to be World War III. We send over tanks, so we're in World War III. Whether they've declared it or not, we're there. And so we need to be awake to that fact. You know, if we're sleeping at the wheel just thinking it's hunky-dory in America, it's not going to be for very long, I don't think. And we've just seen the heat turned up a little bit. Uh, we have a compromised leader. And that puts us in a bad position. We've always helped Israel. How fast will we get to it? We don't have a Speaker of the House because we're playing around with shenanigans with stuff. We have political movements that are going on, attacking past presidents, making sure they can't run again. This is banana republic stuff that we're doing on our scale and it's putting us at risk and it's putting the world at risk because we're not holding them accountable and then it's kind of frustrating how do we hold them accountable because then they'll put you in jail if you try to so it is frustrating but that doesn't mean we don't get on our knees and we don't pray and we don't think about it and we don't do what we can do and i think this is what it's a call to us to wake up and the responsibility that we have as individual citizens 
Because this is a world stage that we're playing at. We need to be informed as a people. You know, don't count on me for everything. I'll do my best. But I want you to be a resource as well to help keep me informed. The more we have searching and looking, and I love the network that we have here, and the, and the texts and the links and the things that get sent to me. But we need to all be that way and be a little more informed and have our ears open and our eyes open to see what is going on. There are at least two future wars that are in the Bible that we're not sure when they happen. And I'm not counting Armageddon. We know when it happens at the end of the tribulation, right before the uh, beginning of the millennial reign. But there's two other wars that prophecy people and students of eschatology are always like, ah, I'm not quite sure. One's the Ezekiel 38 war, which is the leading page of Israel 360 right now. It's the verse they put up, which I was already thinking, hmm, I wonder if this is Ezekiel 38. And there's Psalm 83. We don't know the timing on these for sure. The big debate is, is this pre-trib wars or is this post-trib wars? Are these trib? When do these things happen? How's the timing of this be? Now, I'm generally in the camp and the people that I read and study with, I tend to think these wars are pre-trib, that they happen before we are raptured out of here. It's something that you and I will see that maybe brings the world stage to the point that sets it up for the tribulation to begin. And I think the order is it would be a Psalm 83 war and then an Ezekiel 38 war. Now, uh, let's turn to Psalm 83, since I think that. I think more of us are familiar, and I don't know that we'll have time this morning to read Ezekiel 38, but um, Psalm 83, and they're either easy to remember or confusing to remember, because one's 83 and one's 38, so... And I would say it hurts me rather than helps me. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so Psalm 83, it's not very long. Verse 1, so Psalm 83, verse 1 says, and think about the things which you just talked about, what the countries surrounding them have been saying, Iran's been chanting and stuff like that. So uh, verse 1, keep not thou silence, O God, hold not thy peace, and be not still, O God. For though thine enemies make a tumult, and they that hate thee have lifted up the head, they have taken crafty counsel against thy people, and consulted against thy hidden ones. They have said, Come, and let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. This is the chance that we are hearing right now. For they have consulted together with one consent, they are confederate against thee, the tabernacles uh, of Edom and the Ishmaelites, of Moab and the Hagarines, Gibal and Abin and Amalek and the, Phil and the Philistines with the inhabitants of Tyre. Asher also is joined with them, and they have hope in the children of Lot, Salah. Do unto them as unto um, the Midianite at Caesarea, as to Jabin at the brook of Kishon, which perished in Endor, they become as dung for the earth. Make their nobles like Orab and Zeba, yea, all their princes as Zeba and as uh, Zalamona, who said, Let us take to ourselves the house of God for a possession. O oh my God, make them like a wheel, as a stubble before the wind, as a fire burneth wood, as a flame setteth the mountains of fire. So persecute them with a tempest, and make them afraid with a storm. Fill their faces with shame, O oh, that they may seek thy name, O Lord. Let them be confounded and troubled forever. Yea, let them be put to shame and perish, that men may know that thou, whose name alone is Jehovah, 
art the most high over all the earth. And so Psalm 38 lists nations, and again, he lists the nations that they, uh, their name as they were in the past because all these nation states all change in their name and as they are. And so this is considered an inner ring. And so as we look at Israel on the map, and there's the inner ring countries that are around them that touch and border them, that's who's listed here. You have Jordan, you have Gaza, uh, Palestine, uh, Syria, Iraq, Lebanon, and, and uh, possibly Egypt there as well. And so um, the thing that makes it interesting and confusing as we study Ezekiel 38 is that there's nations missing there, but none of these inner ring cities are mentioned, none of these inner ring countries. And so the big question through uh, eschatology is like, I wonder why. These are the nations that we know hate them. We, these are the nations that we know are right there next to them. These are the nations that are persecuting them and attacking them every chance they get. Why aren't they mentioned in this Ezekiel 38 battle? And one thought is because this battle happens first, maybe they're taken out. Netanyahu just declared war with them and said, get out. I'm about ready to lay you flat. Are we going to see that fulfilled? I don't know. I'm, just, I'm putting before you our answers and the posing and the thoughts that we are having about this so that you're better informed and to pray about it and to say, is this what this is? Is this what we're seeing? Is it that? Because this is a possibility. So the inner ring of those countries would be gone. The outer ring of Ezekiel 38 would be the second battle. And it might be because of this battle that now Israel has expended and put forth all this battle to protect themselves and to take out their enemies. Are they now depleted? Or maybe they think there's safety because Ezekiel 38 talks about how Gog and Magog, Russia, see them as an open opportunity. They're the unwalled city. Maybe they used all their iron dome. They haven't had a chance to build back their defenses. And God says he draws them in like a hook. Like he puts it in their jaw and says, you got to go get them, take the spoil. He pulls them into it. But either case, both of them kind of end the same, where God has put on display that he has defended Israel. And now we need to think pattern. Pattern is prophecy, right? You know, there's the Greek mindset of prediction is prophecy, which is true. But there's also the Jewish mindset where God uses pattern as prophecy. So if we think back, oh man, my mind just went blank. And said, um, how has God done this in the past? What does God do? He judges them, protects them, was to show himself. And so this is to remind us back of uh, Moses and Pharaoh. Remember, this is when God introduces himself to the nation of Israel again. They've gone in as a, as a family. They come out as a nation. And then he puts himself on display against the world leader. He takes out all their gods. You know, he takes on Ra. He takes on the Nile. You know, he takes on flies and frogs. And he, he brings it all up and he defeats them all. Oh, you worship the sun? I give you darkness. You know, and, and he has all these things showing that he is God and he is over them. Introduces himself to his people. See that I am God, I am strong. The one that you just talked about in the wilderness. He reintroduces himself again to the nation of Israel who as a whole aren't religious. You know, there's religious Jews, but there's a lot of... Nominal, you know, just, uh, just because they're Jewish, they, they think they have it. Like a lot of people think they're Christian because they're born in a Christian family. So he's reintroducing himself to them, showing himself, I protect you. You depend upon me, not your technology. And so he does that through these two wars, puts himself back on the world stage, setting them up for the tribulation when their Pharaoh-type character comes and goes against them to try to establish a, a world-dominant thing and try to wipe them out and God rescues them at the very end when he comes and takes them and leads them out of people into the millennium just like into the promised land out of Egypt and so all these things are types and shadows they're patterns they're examples showing us things that are coming in the future so 
we're probably seeing some of that, that God is going to spare them. I look forward to hearing stories of miraculous savings. We've heard a lot of death now, but seeing how God has intervened on that part as well. Now, Ezekiel 38, it identifies Russia, Iran, Ethiopia, Turkey, and France, which is weird, which is, stands for Gomer. We're talking about Gomer on, in the book of Hosea. And you think, and I've always been one like, France is kind of random. You know, it's like all these other countries. Yeah, okay, that's where they've always been there, always been biblical countries, how it comes. But why would France all of a sudden be part of this? Until you live in 2023 when we have countries that are just flooded with refugees, right? How much longer? They have people with elected positions because they have so many there that have put them in points where it starts changing policy and how they look and how they reflect and how they do this. And so maybe God's shown himself. He's shown himself in these battles. Maybe it's all that. Maybe this sets it up where there's tur- turmoil in the world to where we're like, man, we got something going on in Ukraine. We got something going on here. Armenia, right now, there's not much being said about that, but they're persecuting them. They're starving out people there, trying to instill a, a dictatorship that's going on, but we don't hear about it because we don't have much policy there, but it's going to play right in with Russia hands and some other stuff. It's like crazy world. You know, we have a lot going on, and a lot of it we're not aware of because we only have American news, and so we need to be a little broader as we look at things. But maybe it's all just part of the wars and rumors of war. Maybe it's another just a birth pang in that way, showing us that it's getting closer, earthquake in diverse places. I promise to you this week, cross my finger, hope to die, uh, release my podcast, which I'm calling it, is later than you think. And I'm looking at obscure things, not the wars and rumors of war, not the earthquakes in diverse places, but pulling out from the text obscure things in the Bible that says it would be happening in the last days to let us know the lateness of the hour. And it's shocking. And so I hope to have at least four episodes of that released, and I'll get it to you. I'm going to give myself to Friday. But when we get done by then, ask me about it Wednesday. Keep me to the fire, all right? <laughs> so to try to make sure you get these things done. And so, uh, but maybe this is another one. Just this going along with it intensifies all that in my mindset. And so, um, yeah, this is definitely Matthew 24 going on one way or the other. And no matter which it is, is this, uh, is this Ezekiel 38? Is it Psalm 83? Is it just wars and rumors of war? Is it part of this, the condition of the world? Is it getting closer? It's probably all those things, but I know that it has a main purpose. And I think that's what's on my heart today because I called my son Joel and I was like, uh, hey, I'm kind of changing my message. He goes, wow, I am too. Because I really felt like over this morning, it's like, so he and I compared notes to talk about and like, what did God lay in your heart? And I'll be surprised if, there's not more churches that we don't hear back that say that, you know, we talked about this in our church on Sunday because God's putting a call out. And I've been sensing that call, not just in my life, the lateness of it, but others that I've been talking to as well saying, I feel like the time is late. I feel like the hour is close. Am I right? Am I okay? Am I prepared? Am I ready? So God is using this to stir us up. Because God loves us, right? He's not willing that any should perish. He is long-suffering. And so will He shake us to wake us first? Yes. Yes, he will. He wants to wake us up. He wants us to understand that the hour is late. He wants us to understand that judgment is coming, that lost are dying. Do we not have compassion for the lost? Charles Spurgeon says, if you have no compassion for the lost, then you are not saved yourself. I didn't say that, Charles Spurgeon said. I just second it. <laughs> but no, but it's like, that's harsh. That's harsh. You know, do we have a compassion for the lost? Except for the grace of God, there go I, right? Someone took the time to share the gospel with me. Someone took the time to tell me. And the things that we do, we not, might, uh, might not always see the immediate response. Case in point. 
And again, I think this is a God thing. Putting wind in my sails a little bit. And confirming things that are going on here in our congregation with me and you. So I had my Bible study with my neighbor. Friday. And I go over and he has his Bible open and ready. And he has a hymn page laid in there. And I'm like, oh, you've been singing a hymn or you have a favorite hymn or something like that? And he's like, looks at me confused. He goes, you gave it to me. I'm like, I did. He goes, I think it was with a pie or a mom or something. <laughs> I'm like, well, probably both. I gave you both. <laughs> so I thought, surely they've chucked that and gone on. He has it in his Bible and he keeps it out and he looks at it and he says, what do you read? How many other pies and mums did we give out with hymns and gospel messages on it that we would have thought, well, how much response do we get after those? I'll tell you, right? <laughs> Zero. Well, thank you. Does that mean God wasn't working with it? No, it means God was working with it. Unknown to you and me what he's doing, but he's doing. So we keep on keeping on. We're not results-oriented here. We are commanded to preach the gospel in season, out of season. You know, to every creature, not like, well, how many results did you get today? We're just to be faithful in doing it. We're to be faithful in doing it. Do I want to see results? Yeah, it's exciting when you see results. It's exciting. It's profession of faith last week. It's exciting. It's exciting stuff. And so um, eternity is looming for us and them. I see this and I get excited a little bit. One day is coming, right? You know, the day is getting close. I'll fly away. What about my other neighbor? What about the other co-workers? Where do they go? Do I stop and think about them? Does that motivate me enough to speak to them and open my mouth and to reach out to them? How about thinking about it this way? Are you ready to stand before the Lord and give an account for who you are and what you've done? Not about your salvation, sure. You've repented and trusted Christ, you're a faithful church member. Are you ready to give an account for what you've done with the talent that he's given you? Are you afraid you're going to be the one that, well, I had it buried in the sand. I thought I had plenty of time or I was going to give. Or are we one who's busy and active? Do you think about that? We will stand in front of him and give an account one day. First Corinthians 3 tells us, you know, we're going to be tried by fire. Wood, hay, precious stone, whatever's going to be, gold, silver. What's going to, what's going to last? What are we going to do? I start thinking about it like that. I'm like, I want to get busy. <laughs> I think I better get busy. Because if I think the likeness, if I think, oh, why did I wait so long to go full time? I got things to do. You know, stuff is happening. We have things to do as a church. I think it's a call for us to get our lamp out and make sure it's full of oil, right? We need to trim that wick. Is it shining bright? Because we need to shine the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to quit thinking about it. We need to do it. We need to quit mulling it over and being afraid. And we need to be speaking because the lost are dying and they're looking for answers. Do I have exact answers and exact timing? God's not giving me that. Most interpretive of all these, hindsight's twenty twenty. Oh, we see how that was exactly there. But man, we can see it coming, right? We can see it coming, and we know that at least all three of those are probably in play that I mentioned. The Ezekiel uh, 38, Psalm uh, 83, or it's the wars and rumors of war. We know that there's going to be a time where a world leader is going to come on stage and say, Israel's a cup of trembling to all nations. Let's sign a peace agreement or some kind of covenant with the world, and we'll try to get peace out of this for seven years. I hope not to be here for that, and I think my view is we'll be gone before that happens, but we can see or see the stage being set as it leads up to it. I think we're seeing that for sure. The Bible is real. God's word is true. It is active. It is alive. And I believe that we're living it right here and now. I believe in the millennial reign when people talk about us. They're like, man, you're the one God had on the front line toward the end. You're like, yeah, I didn't realize it until the last minute. <laughs> no, let's have our eyes awake and let's see that. I think this is coming. 
I think we need to be busy. I think we need to be active. You know what? And, and it might not all be big ministries we do. It could be individual personal ministries where God has called you to do something, to leave tracks out, you know, to send emails, make a little short video, read a Bible verse, put it out there. Something. Doing something for the kingdom. Praying for those lost loved ones that you haven't quite got the nerve up to. We're entering into a time where you're going to be sitting next to that old cousin again. And you're going to have a few hours eating, dressing, and elbowing for turkey. You can probably steer the conversation that way. Hey, see what's going on with Israel? Oh, and just lead them. That's weird. We're going to lead the conversation towards salvation. Christmas time. Halloween, we're getting ready to have National Evangelism Day, where everybody's going to come knock on your door and ask for something. We're going to give them tracts, right? That's what, that's what I want to make sure we're loaded up. National Evangelism Day, we're going to make sure we pass it out. It's the best time they come to you and ask for something. Wrap it in some candy corn, but, but give them the gospel. Because God's word is true. And I think, I think it's later than we think. I think, but I think it's going faster than we think. It says at the beginning of Revelation, verse 1, these things will happen quickly. Suddenly, I think part of it was that the early church, as those things were happening, the first few parts of the book of Revelation happened quickly. And when the events of the things that lead up to the rest of it, uh, the rest of the book of Revelation, when it comes, it's going to become like a house of fire. It's going to start, dominoes start falling, and it starts building. And he's chosen you and I to be here for this time, for such a time as this. We're the Esters, right? We're the team he's picked. A ragtag group of individuals, right? People that he will get the glory for because it's not in us. People are going to say, it's not in my strength, it's in his strength. And he says, I can use that. We can be Gideon's army. We can proclaim the good news of the gospel. It's one person at a time. We want to reach them, not repel them. We want to have compassion for them. We want to love them enough to tell them the good news. Someone told you. Someone told you. I'm thankful for an ant. Invite us. Ants. <laughs> Both sides that invite us to put it to the line where I got to go to a couple of different churches and how God used that in my testimony. Be that aunt, uncle, cousin, friend, neighbor. Be that one. So we got some soul searching to do. I think the lightness of the hour is upon us. I think God's done something big in a faraway place because he loves us too. He says, come on, America, wake up. Let's hold our leaders to accountability for who we are and what we say we stand for. Let's quit playing games and let's do things that are right. Remember that we stand for freedom. We have the freedom to proclaim the gospel. We have the most opportunity to have. Let's not waste it to be able to proclaim this. If you're here today and you're like, I didn't know Christ is Savior. Repent and trust him today. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Now is the time. Today is the present. Right? It's the present that God gives us. So today is the day where you can repent of your sins and trust him as Savior, and you will know so. It's a no-so salvation. These things are written that you may know that you have everlasting life. It's not a hope so. If you know that, let's share it with someone else. Your testimony is a powerful thing. You're like, well, I don't know much. You know your story. Share that one. Story of redemption. The story where God picked you, and whatever the circumstances, and all of ours are different. You share that testimony. You share that with them. How can they argue it? <laughs> and you don't have to memorize it. You know it. You lived it, right? God gave that to you. Share it with them. It usually involves humbleness, right? Well, I finally realized I was a sinner. And I cried out for him on my kitchen table at a roller skating rink in my bedroom at home, wherever it was at the front of a church. And I asked him to save me, and he did. And he will do the same for you. Let's share the gospel.